0: Well, good morning, everyone. I thought I'd do an official sermon good morning as well as a normal good morning. I think we're going to get started straight away. Um, Hopefully, at the end, we'll have a bit of time maybe to sing that new song. I like that new song. That's good. So, um, So we'll do that if that's okay. Every great story has within it some great purpose for being written some clear direction of travel, some kind of idea of a plot line. If you read a story that doesn't have a plot line, you'll quickly become bored. It will just meander and you'll be like, what's the point in reading this? So when we read stories, we look for the plot line and the kind of sense of uh, direction in it. Likewise, every good book or film has some moment in it, normally towards the end, where the story is kind of resolved, the thing kind of comes to completion. Sometimes it might be a dramatic twist or a kind of shocking kind of end, but there's a sense of, ah, everything makes sense now, or, oh, what's going to happen next? The Lord of the Rings. Here's my copy of The Lord of the Rings. It's, uh, it's one, one story told over three books, so it's very long. And it makes me look clever, so I'm going to leave it on, on here. Um, but, but this story is it's, it's one story that goes from the beginning, obviously, to the end. And it tells the story, well, really, of a ring. And this ring is small, but it's tremendously powerful. And whoever owns this ring has got at their hands uh, a lot of power. But it also corrupts people and brings a lot of evil onto the world. And so this ring is given to uh, a hobbit, a small man called Frodo. And Frodo very, he comes from a very sleepy uh, village where he's having a lovely time of his life. But um, he's been told he needs to take it on a really long journey, a few hundred miles to a place called Mount Doom. And in Mount Doom, he's got to take the ring, which he should never put on because it corrupts him. And he's got to take the ring and he's got to throw it into the fires on Mount Doom. And that is the only place in the whole of the world that this ring can get uh, destroyed. So, along the way, he has loads of problems because lots of people want the ring. It brings a lot of power, so there's a lot of evil people that want to get the ring. And so there's wars and there's, uh, what are they called, orcs Orcs and all sorts of other kind of weird and alien-looking things trying to attack him. And there's some good people that are along the way with him trying to protect him and keep him safe. Now the end of the story, the pinnacle of the story, the moment that if you kind of wanted to find one hinge moment in the whole story is when he's climbed up to the top of the mountain and before him are these this lake of fire that he needs to throw the ring into. And he's got an internal and external battle. There's this, the power of the ring is telling him not to do it. But then you've got this little creature called Gollum who is, used to be a person but got corrupted by the ring and he wants the ring. And so Frodo and Gollum have a a kind of battle for the ring. In the end, Gollum goes into the um, fire with the ring and both are destroyed. And and that's the kind of pinnacle of the moment. I'm hoping no one's reading at the moment. Uh, Sorry. Uh, But that's the big moment in the story. And then after that, it kind of just winds down. The story kind of... Light starts coming into the situation. People that have done wrong, there's justice served on them. People are celebrating. There's new hope. There's new life. And, And Frodo's just got to make his journey home and see all these friends and celebrate. There's a sense of closure to the story. But the actual end of the story happens a few chapters before the end, or the kind of pinnacle of the story happens a few chapters before the end of the story. Over the last number of weeks, we've been retelling the story of Joseph from the Old Testament. His story is found towards the end of the book of Genesis. Um, And just to very briefly go over the story we've we've looked at so far, Jacob, um, uh, so Joseph is the uh, eleventh son I think of twelve sons to a man called Jacob. But Joseph is Jacob's favorite son and because of this his brothers hate him and they decide they want to get rid of him some of them want to kill him but one of them decides well the next best thing let's put him into uh, slavery so he ends up in slavery sold by his own brothers into slavery for 20 pieces of silver then uh, he's taken uh, into slavery into Egypt and in Egypt he becomes the slave of a man called Potiphar and he does well in his job now Joseph is a handsome man. He's quite tall. He's got brown eyes, slightly <laughs> graying hair, and uh, and so Potiphar's wife, Potiphar's wife, takes a fancy to him. And uh, but Joseph, being a righteous man, says, "No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sin against Potiphar, and I'm not going to sin against God." In the end, she gets uh, kind of uh, like upset about this kind of rebuffal, and so he does. Uh, she says that he has tried to rape her and he ends up in prison for a number of years. He's also, at that time, he's given a gift of being able to interpret um, dreams. And after a few years of being in prison, uh, Pharaoh has a disturbing dream and finds out that, that Joseph has got a, a kind of skill, an ability, a God-given gift to interpret dreams. So uh, Joseph goes to Pharaoh, tells him that what his dream was and what, what it all means, Um, And then after that, Pharaoh says, well, you're good at at what you're doing. I'm going to give you a good job. So he becomes the prime minister of Egypt. He becomes second only to Pharaoh. So he does a good job for himself. And then last week, in some ways, we had the pinnacle, from the perspective of Joseph, we have the pinnacle of the story. If we're looking at the story of Joseph just as a story about Joseph and his life, last week, or two weeks ago, when Sarah spoke. And Sarah's not here, so I'm not going to embarrass her or get her big-headed, but it was a phenomenal sermon. And, 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 but what she told us was this story of Joseph coming face-to-face with his brothers for the first time since they sold him into slavery. When Joseph's brothers did that, they were the ones in the position of power. Look at them, all of them, huddling around Joseph. He's in a pit. What are we going to do with him? Well, we can sell him. Or we can, or we can um, sell him and make some money out of him. That's the last time Joseph saw him. He was in a position of weakness. They're in a position of power. And now he comes face to face with them. They came because there was a famine in the land of Canaan. So they made their way to Egypt to get food. They don't recognize Joseph at first, but Joseph recognized them. He's the, he's the uh, second in command over Egypt. And in that moment, this is like his Frodo moment. This is the chance for him to get his vengeance. This is the chance for him to make everything right. He was wronged at the beginning, and now he can find peace. The story can find resolution. He has got those brothers bowing down to him. It's as if he could, and probably he could actually do this, send them into the fires. He could pour out the wrath of Egypt, right down upon them. But in that moment, as the pain of, the, kind of the, the history that he's got with his brothers and everything they did to him over that, and everything that happened as a result of what they did to him. He's angry. You can hear the kind of frustration in his voice. And yet, instead of getting vengeance and revenge, he decides to forgive. What a moment in the story. What a twist in the story. Now, if you were looking at the life, the story of Joseph, purely as the, the life story of Joseph, that would be the moment of, of kind of crescendo. It was the Frodo moment. And then afterwards, the next couple of weeks, this week and next week, all we've got to do is kind of tie up all the loose ends. Uh, what would be nice? Oh, if Joseph met his dad again, that would be nice. Let's bring him there. And um, they're given some land and they all live happily ever after. That would be a nice ending to the story. But if you looked at the story of Joseph as the end to the story of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, I think the verses that we're going to look at today, which I forgot to read, um, are the, is actually the pinnacle of the story. So I'm going to read the story to you and then explain why this is the most important part of the story. Okay, so Genesis 45, verse 16 to 46, verse 7. It's going to come out on the screen if you want to read with me. Don't read out loud with me. <laughs> when, news of, uh, when, when the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brother had come, Joseph and all the officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, "'Tell your brothers, do this, load the animals and return to Canaan "'and bring your father and, and his fam- your family back to me, "'and I will give you the best land.'" of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also to direct them, do this, take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives, and get your father to come. Never mind about your belongings, because the best of Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts and Pharaoh, as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothes, but to Benjamin, the youngest, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt. Ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for the journey. Then he sent his brothers on his way, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Don't quarrel on the way. Good advice. <laughs> so they went up, to, uh, went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob, in the land of Canaan, I'm going to say things louder because I want you to remember them. Um, they told him Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's the ruler of Egypt. Joseph, uh, Jacob, was stunned. He did not believe them. That word "stunned" in, in the in the literal kind of Hebrew language it actually means his heart stopped. And some people actually think he had a heart attack at that point. But when they told him everything that Joseph had said to them. And when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Bathsheba, he offered sacrifices to God, the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons, uh, sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in carts that Pharaoh had provided for transport. So Jacob and his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions that they had acquired in Canaan. So when you look at the story from Joseph's perspective, this is the end, the happy ending. Bring everything back to conclusion. Everyone can celebrate. But when you look at this story from the perspective of uh, Genesis as the end of the story of Genesis, we quickly find out that this is a shocking twist at the end of the story. This is like a cliffhanger. And it turns out that the book of Genesis is not a nice, neat, packaged story on its own. It's the first part of a story that will go on for years and years and years. And so what I want to do today, with the very short time I've got, is to um, tell you the story of Genesis very briefly, So that we can come to this story and see how it ends so dramatically. So the story of Genesis can be told through the lives of five men. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Let's start with Adam. So Adam starts life by God putting him in this garden. And this garden is a good place to be. And he's given freedom to, to kind of grow and to thrive and to make a family and, and enjoy the whole place. And uh, this is what God, when God speaks to Adam, this is what he says. He says, you're free. You're free to eat the fruit of any tree in the garden. But do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you do that, you will surely die. So, Adam's got all this freedom, all this place to enjoy, this land that he could call his own and make what he wanted of it. What a great opportunity. The only thing you're not allowed to do is is to eat from one tree. But Adam decides to not listen to God. And he he says, No, no, I'm going to eat from that tree. And in that moment, Adam, representing humanity, it's like he turns his back on God and says, God, I'm going to do things in the way that I want to do them. But equally, at the same moment as turning his back on God, we see in the context of Genesis, it's almost like humanity turns in on itself after that. So after that situation, we have stories over over the next few chapters of Genesis, stories of murder, sexual sin, pride, corruption, violence. And in chapter 6 of Genesis, God says these words, I regret making humanity. I regret making them. Imagine God having regrets. Go and talk about that in your connect group. God having regrets. So the problem is that by that point, everyone is doing whatever they see fit in their own eyes. Everyone's forgotten God, and they're just doing whatever they want. Everyone except one man. We're told about Noah. We're told that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with faith. And God spoke to Noah. And... He said to them he said to Noah I am going to put an end to all people because this world is filled with violence because of them so make yourself an ark of cypress wood and you know what happens after that Noah builds an ark the judgment the rains of God come down humanity is wiped out other than Adam uh, sorry other than Noah and his family who survive and then at the end of uh, the, the flood God speaks again and he says to Noah First of all, he says, I am never going to flood the earth again. That's a promise. Secondly, go, be fruitful, increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. In other words, God's saying, Noah, this is your land. Go and be fruitful. Enjoy it. Build families. Have a great time. And I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be in your presence uh, while you do that. But yet again, over the next few chapters, we just read about corruption and pride, and arrogance, and so the story of Genesis shows us that humanity slides again. So God gave Adam land to live in, to thrive in, to be fruitful in, but he messed it up. Then he gave Noah land to live in, to thrive in, to enjoy and be fruitful in, but humanity messes it up again. This time, God does something different. He's not going to wipe everyone. Instead, he's going to go to this mess of humanity and pick a family out of it. And he calls one man, and his name is Abraham. And he says to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to a land that I am going to show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed because of you. So Abraham Gets a lot of things wrong in his life, but he's kind of the, the the way he goes is a way of obedience. He's looking to listen to what God says and put it into practice. And so, closer to the end of Abraham's life, he comes again in Genesis twenty-two. He says, "I swear by myself, this is God speaking. I swear by myself," declares the Lord, "that because you have done this and have not withheld your son Isaac, your only son." I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of cities, the cities of their enemies. In other words, I'm going to give you a land, and through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Abraham eventually dies, and the story of Genesis begins to look at his son Isaac. And um, again... God speaks to Isaac. A severe famine now struck the land, as had happened before in the time of Abraham. And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Don't go down to Egypt, but do as I, um, but do as I tell you. Live here and as, as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands... That you're standing in now to you and your descendants. Just as solemnly as I promised Abraham your father, I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give them these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. So you've got the same thing. I'm going to give you a land. You're going to be fruitful in it. You're going to grow in it. You're going to be blessed in it. And you're going to be a blessing to the nations in it. And I am going to be with you in it. So then Isaac has his son, Jacob. He's got two sons, Esau and Jacob. Is Esau. And and Jacob, he's a bit of a trickster. He's a bit of a troublemaker, especially in his older life. If you were being nice to him, you'd call him a bit of a dell boy. Or, you know, someone who's just a bit of a cheeky chappy. But actually... He's got quite. There's quite something quite sinister about Jacob. Actually, the people that are closest to him, he's really happy just to kind of say, "No, I'm I'm going against what you, what you, what you want me to do." So, for instance, he um, he kind of manipulates his brother into giving him his birthright, and he tricks his father into giving. uh, Jacob tricks his father into giving him his brother's inheritance. As a result. Jacob's brother gets really angry and wants to kill him, and he wants to kill him. And so um, Jacob has to leave that land. He has to leave the land of Canaan. He has to leave the land that God had promised. And he spends years on the run because anyone, if anyone hears that Jacob's around, news is going to get back and, and his brother's going to be after him. So he ends up um, working for and, and um, a, a guy called Laban. And uh, he, becomes the fa- he becomes his father-in-law. Uh, Jacob marries two of his daughters. And um, they start having families and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but then, in the end, he, Jacob turns on Laban as well. He defrauds him. He starts taking sheep, all the best sheep he was keeping for himself, and then giving Laban all the rubbish sheep. So he's, like, being really cheeky. Um, so in the end, he has to run away from Laban. It is Laban, isn't it? I've I've checked that right. Sorry. Um, And so he he kind of goes back. He thinks, I'm going to go back to my brother and see if I can make amends. He manages to make amends with him, and everything's good. And at that point, God speaks to Jacob. And God says to Jacob, This is what it says God appeared to Jacob. This is Genesis 28. God appeared to Jacob again in Bethel. God blessed him, saying, Your name is Jacob, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. From now on, you're going to be called Israel, a nice strong name. So God named him Israel. Then God said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply, and you'll become a great nation, even many nations. Kings will come from your descendants. And I will give you this land that I once gave to Abraham and Isaac. Yes, I will give it to you and your descendants after you. Then the Lord went up from that place where he spoke to Jacob. Jacob named that place Bethel because God had spoken to him there. Bethel means house of God. So as we look at the story of Genesis, we can see it as one long story. The story of God calling out a people for himself. A people that will will have a land people that will be with him, a people that will be blessed and will be a blessing to to the nation. So you would think that when Jacob comes finally back to Canaan and God tells him to settle there, that that would be the end of the story of Genesis. God's promise has been fulfilled. But it's not the end of the story. And it's not the end of the story because Jacob's family is a messed up family. They're a messed up family and God knows it. They've thrown one of the sons away into um, slavery. All the other sons are living a disfun- dysfunctional life. They're, an- they're in anarchy. They're sleeping around. They're attacking neighbor- neighboring c- communities and killing all the men in those communities. They're bringing shame onto the family of Israel on- and onto God. See, they might have been living in the land that God had given them, but they were not the community that God had planned. They were not being the blessing to the nations as God had told them they must be. And they were not hungry for the, for, to love God. They weren't hungry to know the presence of God with them. You don't mean, God, they don't talk about God at all until near the end. So there's no hunger for God within them. So that's the situation when Joseph's story takes place. So so getting back to our story, Joseph uh, Joseph has just met the brothers, but Jacob doesn't know that. Jacob's back in Canaan waiting for them. Might be weeks, might be months, he doesn't know. I wonder what he's thinking at that time. I wonder if he's thinking things like, God, why is my family so messed up? God, why are we living in the land that, that you promised to me, to my father and to his father, and yet life doesn't feel good? Why doesn't it feel complete yet? And then suddenly the brothers or the sons return home. They return home. And they say, good news, Dad. Joseph is alive after all. And we're told that when, 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 when they told Jacob that, he's stunned. I'm not surprised he's stunned. Well, if you were Jacob, I think you would be asking questions like this. So why did you tell me he got killed by wild animals? And you presented with me... A, his coat with the blood. Forensic evidence that he had been killed by animals. What happened there? And if they didn't tell him at that point, Joseph <laughs> was going to tell him when they met him. So, so in that moment, he didn't just hear that his son is alive, but all the rest of the sons had plotted to kill him, but instead put him into slavery, and, and, and then had been lying to him all of his life. All the, the years that had passed, it's all just one big lie. Can you imagine what that does to an old man's heart? That's shocking. And so Jacob's asking all these questions. What's going on? And then they say, and guess what? The Pharaoh has said, we've got to move from here, this land that God has given us, and move back to Egypt or move to Egypt and and live there. Everything's got to come. Imagine what that does to Jacob's heart. I'm happy that my son is alive, but what about the promises that God has given us? And then, and then it said he's an old man, so they put him, they put him onto uh, the, the, the trailers to take him back. I wonder what's going through his head as they're kind of slowly walking, <coughs> riding away. I wonder what's going on in his head. God, have you given up on us? God, do you hate us? God, is that the end of this? Are all these promises that you gave us, are they finished? Have we messed it up too much? Who knows what he was thinking? God, you said that my family would settle here, but the lands, in these lands, and be fruitful here and be blessed here, but that doesn't look like it's happening anymore. So they stop on their journey, and God speaks one last time. What, what I find really interesting about that is, even though it's really painful for, for, for Jacob, he's still worshipping. He's still worshipping. If you're going through tough times... Continue to worship. But God, you are God. okay? And God speaks. He speaks for the, first, for the last time in the book of Genesis. He speaks a lot in the book of Genesis. This is the very last time. You don't hear another word from God until the book of Exodus when Moses is standing before the fiery bush. This is the last time God speaks, so it's important. And he says this. He says, God spoke in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, Jacob replied. I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will, I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. I love the way that God speaks to him, so graciously and full of compassion and hope. God hasn't forgotten his promises The truth is that family can't live on the land because they're not the people God has called called them to be. God's a good father. He doesn't just give you what you need. He's interested in what's going on in your heart and that side of things. And so if you've got promises over your life and you're saying, God, where's the answer to that? Maybe one of the things is to to ask, God, what, what are you doing in my heart? What needs to be changed? What needs to be moved forwards? Maybe God's waiting for that to happen first. And so they go. Jacob leaves Bathsheba and his sons take him to Egypt and they carry their little ones, their wives and their wagons and all the things that they acquired in Canaan. 100s I'm going to rush through this last bit. I'm very sorry. Hundreds of years later, after Jesus had lived, died and risen again, the writer of a book called, of Hebrews right at the end of the Bible says that Abraham obeyed when he was called. And so did Isaac, and so did Jacob. All these people confidently looked for what, what God had promised them, a city with eternal foundations, with God as, it, as its designer. And all the people died still believing what they had promised, were promised. They did not receive what they had promised, but they saw from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were strangers and foreigners on this earth. Do you know those, those last words that God gave to, um, to Jacob? When you think Jacob knew, actually I'm, I'm called to be a foreigner and a stranger now. But God said, you will still be blessed. You will still grow. You will still be a blessing. And my presence will still be with you. And that is the same for us today. As, as the people of God, we're waiting for a heavenly home. One day we'll see him as he fully is face to face that's going to be such a wonderful day but at the moment we're foreigners and exiles but god says to us even in that you're called to grow and multiply i've come to seek and and save the lost there are many people out there that god is calling us to preach the gospel to so that they are born again they come into the family of god what a privilege that is we're called to be a to be blessed and be a blessing. What a great thing to talk about the youth worker and how actually we can bless this community as God blesses us. Tim Taylor is in Cambodia talking to the Cambodian government about adoption and how to set up an adoption system there. What an amazing thing. We are blessed to be a blessing. Sharo and Lex... Um, are out in Kurdistan, and last week they had 130 kids come to, to do karate lessons and English lessons because they're blessed to be a blessing. God is blessing the nations even through us, Little City Hope. Those of you here who have adopted kids, you're blessing the community, you're blessing the nations because of what you're doing. And it's tough and it's hard, but you're being a blessing and God is seeing that. Every person who goes to work or volunteers or looks after family is actually showing the blessing of God to those around. That's the kind of people God calls us to be. And then finally, and very finally, God calls us to be the home of God here on earth. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a lady at Jacob's well, a, a well that Jacob had opened up. And she says, Should we worship God here or in Jerusalem? And Jesus says to her, I tell you, a time is coming where you won't worship me here or there in some given land, but true worshippers will worship me in spirit and in truth. And actually, today, we have the Spirit of God living within us. So wherever you go, you're taking the home of God with you. Isn't that a privilege? Isn't that a challenge? Isn't that exciting? So we can live as foreigners and exiles here, but that doesn't mean that God's not going to bless us. That doesn't mean that his kingdom isn't going to grow. In fact, it means the opposite. It means the world is going to be blessed through what he's calling us to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. We've run out of time. Can we just stand? And I'm going to pray. Father God, I thank you for that story of Jacob. I thank you, Lord. It's a real life. It's a real life story, Lord. He went through things and challenges just like we go through. He had failures and, and problems in, in the family, just like we do. And yet you were always faithful to your promises, your people and your plans. Lord, and, and you had to work on him on the way, but you did it and you remain faithful. And I thank you, Lord, is the same for us. You want to continue to work in our hearts. You live in our hearts. Thank you for that. Thank you that by the Spirit we carry Jesus with us. And I pray that as a a church, City Hope, as the people of God, would be a blessing to this nation, would be a blessing to these people around, to the nations, Lord, and that we would grow as we see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we look forward to the day where we see you face to face and praise you all before the the throne of God, every nation, tribe and tongue. What a day that's going to be. Until then, we belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.